1: Go to John 4, John chapter 4. We're going to start a brand new series tonight. We finished on Sunday night Sunday night, our series on My Sheep Hear My Voice. So you definitely want to go get that last part. I gave you the four key things that you need to learn and practice to walk out following God's voice. And it's kind of cool how God, of course, knows how to work things together. As I was praying about, <clears throat> about what we were going to get into tonight for our series tonight, this will kind of tie into helping us to hear him more clearly as well. And we're going to talk about a brand new series called True Worshipers. True Worshipers. So obviously if there's true worshipers, there is also what? False worshipers. And we don't want to be a false worshipper. But we're going to find out tonight why this is significant with God and how it relates to our life. In John chapter 4, in verse 1, picking up in verse 1, we see this story where Jesus is going to go to an area in which he will come across a Samarian woman actually at a well. If you know the story, but let's pick it up here in chapter 4, verse 1 of the book of John. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did, of course. Verse 3, he left Judea and he departed again to Galilee. Verse 4, but he needed, say he needed. He needed needed to go where? Through Samaria. Why did he need to go through Samaria? Father told him. him. God directed him to go there. And honestly, he probably really didn't even know. If you don't understand this as it relates to even Jesus, you see it in his life and how he lived out things as, as to how you and I live out things. Him knowing he was supposed to go there doesn't mean he knew for sure why he was there until he got there. And I think in some way, obviously, he knew this well was where he was supposed to go. But it's when she came walking up that he realized, this is the reason I'm here. Verse 5, he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. It's near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, because he's still in a physical body, even though no sin, he also had a body that got wearied as well. He sat thus by the well, was about the sixth hour. So at this point, we don't even see like God saying, stop at the well. He just sat there, obviously, a little wearied. And therefore, what did you do when you were wearied on your travels? Get a drink of water if you find a well. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria, say Samaria. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. This woman of Samaria said to him, how is it you being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now Samaritans were Greek speaking Jews. So in fact, they were Jews or they were of the Jewish nation. Why did she she say, why you being a Jew, why would you speak to me? Because in their day, the actual terminology that was being used in relationship to Samaritans as opposed to Jews, if you did not speak in the Hebrew language... They did not consider you a true Jew. But yet, she's an actual person from Jewish descendancy. She's just a Greek-speaking Jew. So her language was of the Greek language and what she spoke. And, of course, the Jews like Jesus spoke in the Hebrew language. They normally had no dealings with each other. Matter of fact, the term they used for the Samaritans, even though from Jewish heritage was dogs, like they were belittling them. But obviously, they were not any less than what they were as coming from the Jewish descendancy. Verse 10. So Jesus answers her, you know, why are you talking to me? Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, now I guarantee you, let me back up a little bit. So while she's talking, how many you know that now he's picking up, this is why he's here. Right. He's now getting a witness of the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay, so here's why I'm here. <clears throat> so in verse 10, he answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you what? Living water. <clears throat> so clearly he is talking to her, referring to the fact that he is the Messiah. He's not speaking that directly in that sense. He's just saying, if you really knew who it was, who I am in essence, that is here, you would have asked me and I would have given you uh, living water, not this natural water. I'd have, I'd have given you, obviously, what we know as salvation or new life. 11, the woman said to her, uh, to him, excuse me, sir, you've nothing to draw with. <clears throat> so her immediate thought is, well, you couldn't do that anyway because when you come to the well, normally what you bring? You brought a bucket to draw the water with. You put it on the rope. You dropped it down into the well. You pulled it up. You took the bucket off, carried it to your home or wherever you were going. And in most cases for the women, multiple buckets of water at a time. So the woman says, sir, you have nothing, verse 11, to draw with. Notice, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? So where is this going to come from? She doesn't understand it as salvation, of course. She's still just thinking, how are you going to get this water out of this well when you ain't got nothing to draw that water with? Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? So clearly descendants of Samaritans, descendants of Jacob, they're of the Jewish nation. So verse 13, Jesus answered her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Why? Because it's natural water. Yeah. Got to have it, of course. You're going to drink some and you're going to wind up still being thirsty and needing some more. Verse 14, now what's he going to do? He's going to shift to spiritual matters. So he's going to go from talking about the natural water to what he's referring to, <clears throat> which we know is the Holy Spirit come to live in us and have this well of water within our hearts. Amen? Amen. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him. You ought to underline that because that's the only way you can get it. Right. You can only get it through Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You can't come to the Father except through him. So again, I, this, this water that I shall give him, notice he will what? Never thirst. Because the water that I shall give him, notice, will become in him, inside of him, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So this fountain of water, of course, we know the Holy Spirit is going to come to live in us. And in doing so, it's going to provide for us this everlasting life. 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. Now, why would she say that? I don't want to come back to this water. So, ladies, you can be glad because in this day, men at work, where do the women's do during, what are the women part of the responsibility of the women during the day? They had to go wherever the well was and draw water, bring it to the house. So there was water at the house. All you ladies can be glad for your local water company or your local well today that you're not having to go out to the well and, and you know, draw water and haul it to the house. So the woman said again, verse 15, sir, give me this water that I may not... Uh, that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, you go call your husband and you come here. So go get your husband, come back, and I'll tell you about this. I'll tell you about this water. So I'm not going to get into this part of the story here too much, but we know clearly... Uh, The the biggest reason he's saying that is because he's got a word now from God about this woman. He is going to reveal to her clearly that he is here to help her to receive the salvation that he is going to find out she is waiting on. Verse 17, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. But Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. Verse 18, for you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have, is not your husband and that you spoke truly. Question, little side note. So is Jesus trying to make her feel bad about her past? No, he's just trying to reveal the fact, I know everything about your life. I understand everything about your life. And therefore, I'm telling you, if you would do what I'm saying and go get your husband and come back here, relating the fact that now you don't have a husband, means that you're sleeping with this guy, living with the guy, which is a part of the violation of the Ten Commandments, and thus the reason you need me, the Messiah, because I have come to deliver you from this sinful act and nature. Verse 19. So the woman answered and said, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. I mean, you probably say the same thing. <clears throat> Man, you must be a prophet because how would you know these things about me? Verse 20. Notice what she shifts to. Watch this. Now, this, is, this is critical to what we're going to talk about tonight. And is often overlooked and very rarely mentioned or brought up in the story. Notice what she immediately mentions, our father's worship, underline that. Worship. Our father's worship. Why would she bring that up? Why is she talking about worship? Because you know, as you're going to see tonight a little differently in the context of the word worship, most people think of worship as nothing more than what we just did, singing a song. But that's really not what she's referring to. In relationship to what we're gonna see of Bible biblical worship, that's actually, that could be included in it, but that's not the heart of what this word means. So again, she goes back to referring to Jacob and his descendants, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So at this time, being of the Jewish uh, descendancy herself, they still worship God. But the deal for them was it had to be on that mountain, on that spot where Jacob had met with God and and, and dug that well. If you're not doing it right there, then you're not doing it right. You Jews, you're worshiping. You you guys worship in Jerusalem, uh, which is where you say we ought to worship. But Jesus answered. Notice this, verse 21. So the whole focus here shifts to worship. You You seen that? The whole focus shifts to worship. Why? Worship was a part of the Jews' life day in and day out. It was a part of what they understood in relationship to their God. Sadly, most of them were not doing it properly. And sadly, most today are still not doing it properly. And if you're not or you have been and you've drifted away, we're going to get it fixed. And we're going to show you why it's so important. So verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming... Hours just referring to the time that God had set for this to happen notice when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father now he didn't say they couldn't worship there he's just saying it's not about that right. because you Samaritans say if we're not on this exact spot God's not receiving our worship you don't even understand worship but neither do the Jews Most of the Jews don't because they think you got to be in Jerusalem at the temple to worship or God's not going to receive your worship. He's saying, you're about to see this. He's saying both of these groups are wrong. Both of them do not really understand the heart of worship, what it's about, and why God desires this worship. Notice what he said, verse 22. You worship what you do not know. Why? Because to them it was all about the spot. Right? Now the Jews were in the temple where God told them to come. And God told them to worship, so he says, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Now, does that mean the Samaritans didn't know? Well, to a degree, yeah, because in essence, they made such an issue out of it having to be at that spot that they even began to allow some idol worship history reveals within the midst of their so-called worship of God, which therefore is not true worship because there would be no idol worship involved. But the Jews themselves, he went on to say here in this verse, notice again, he said, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming again and now is. So not only is it coming, it's here now. It has showed up right in front of you now. So understand the difference between the Samaritans' worship and the Jews' worship. Guess what? Both were still doing it wrong. Both were doing it wrong. The Jews knew... From the Old Testament verses clearly of the prophets of the Messiah to come. Guess what Samaritans didn't believe in in the writings in relationship to what they had of the Old Testament? They didn't believe in the prophets' writings. So the Samaritans didn't know about the Messiah, let alone believe in, Oh, they probably heard of him, of course, through others. But they didn't believe in the prophetic writings of what we have of the Old Testament. So they weren't looking in the essence truly from the perspective of the scriptures. uh, They weren't looking for the Messiah. Now they knew and they had talked about relationship to what their father knew, Jacob and others, that there was clearly a Messiah to come. But they didn't look at the Old Testament scriptures to see what all was going to reveal this prophet. The Jews did. The Jews knew exactly what the Old Testament said about this prophet to come. The Samaritans didn't because they discounted what was in your scriptures from those prophets. It doesn't mean they didn't believe any prophets. They just didn't believe in those. And it was more so just because of a rift between the Samaritans and the Jews. Really the whole cause of that. So the point again is. Even though you don't know what you worship really. Because to you it's all about the place. The Jews aren't doing it right either. He's not, con- he's not commending the Jews to say. They're doing it properly as you're about to see. Because to them. They, they think they know who they worship. But did they really know who they worshiped? The reason they didn't is because Jesus stood right in front of them. They didn't even know that what they had prophesied through the prophets was being fulfilled. Notice this. Again, verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is what? Of the Jews. So that means the Jews know that the ultimate salvation is going to come through God sending a Messiah. But they didn't even know that obviously he was the one. 23, the hour is coming and now is. So here's the focus of our study in this series. The hour is coming now is when the true worshipers say true worshipers, notice this. What will the true worshipers do? What, what will a true worshipper do? They will worship the Father. They won't worship a spot. You listening? They won't worship some man-made tradition. They won't worship some religious exercise that they go through you know how easy it is as a believer, as we'll talk more probably into Sunday in this series, you know how easy it is for a believer even in the aspect of what we are going to see about worship where we can get in, get in a position of what, the, what Pastor Barclay calls the sin of familiarity yep. and not really be worshiping God biblically anymore? Yes. This is what the Jews were doing. The Jews are showing up to the synagogue every single Sabbath day. But when the Messiah shows up, if they would have been truly worshiping God, guess what they would have recognized? Yes. The Messiah. Amen. You still with me? Yes. How many people come to church and they're not really truly worshiping God? Come on. They're not even recognizing the Messiah. Well, I've recognized him. I've received him as my Lord and Savior. Jesus said, we're two or more gathered. I'm there. Right. Hallelujah. Why do most people not Live in an awareness of God's presence when we gather together because they're not worshiping the way the Bible says to. Not worshiping Him the way that God said to in relationship to what worship is all about and why it is so important. 23 again. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father. How? So they will do so in spirit and truth. So what do true worshipers do? They worship the Father. Who do they worship? Can we honor Jesus? Sure. But who are we to worship? Why? See, here's my question for tonight. This is my question for tonight, okay? Why is God seeking true worshipers? Why? Read on. So the true worshipers will worship again who? The Father. Father. And they will do so how? In spirit spirit and truth. We're not going to answer that tonight. We're going to get into that Sunday. For the Father is what? What's he doing? Seeking such to worship him. worship him. So we're going to answer this question tonight. Why? You ever thought about it? Why? You ever looked at that verse and say, okay, if God, if God the Father is seeking for people to worship him in spirit and truth, why? Why is he seeking people to do that? Why is that Why is that so significant for him? Look at verse 24. God is spirit. Say he is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in what? Spirit and truth. The woman answered Him and said, I know that what? I know that Messiah is coming. So they'd heard about Him. They just didn't believe the prophets' statements of what would reveal the the Messiah when He would come in the Old Testament Scriptures. But they had prophets that had prophesied, of course, He was coming. So she said, I know that Messiah is coming. who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us what? All things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you and what? I'm he. So he clearly knew that thankfully she had a heart to repent of her sin. Why would she say we know there's a Messiah coming? Well, he had revealed the fact that you're living with the guy and therefore not married in, in in sin. What did she know? I know there's a Messiah coming to deliver me from this sinful nature. But that's not our focus. Our focus is this one verse. God is seeking true worshipers. God who? The Father. The Father. The Father is seeking for people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Why? Well, let's first of all answer this question based on these scriptures from the Greek language. Here's the question. What's a true worshiper? What's a true worshiper? So my purpose tonight is not to focus on worshiping Him in the spirit Worshiping Him in spirit and truth. My focus is to find out why He's looking for such people. And a part of the answer will come in the definition of the actual wording here of true worshipers. You want to know what a true worshipper is? Yes. Here's a true worshipper. You can look this up yourself. Here's the three things that describe a true worshipper. Number one, one who adores God. One who adores God. When you adore something... It's like a. It's like you fall in love with somebody here in the natural. You begin to adore them. Guess what you want to do? You want to be around them all the time. Right. So, a true worshipper—the context of the definition, of the Greek language—is one who adores God. Second part of the translation. Uh, second part of the definition of those words: one who magnifies God. So they don't just adore God; they magnify Him. Well, guess what? I'll get into this later. But if a true worshiper is worshiping God properly and magnifying God, guess what your problems look like in your life? Very small. Very small. See, as a true worshiper, you're not only going to do what? You're not only going to acknowledge and adore God. You're going to magnify Him above everything else. You're going to see Him for who He really is. And number three, a true worshiper is one who loves God to the highest degree. They love God to the highest degree. So these are all def- definitions in the phrase of the true worshipers. If you go back under the New Testament, Greek language originally written, it so cracks me up. I saw another bumper sticker the other day. I, you know, I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying it's sad to see people that just don't even understand basics of Bible. Uh, <clears throat> I saw a bumper sticker the other day. You know, New King, uh, excuse me, King James is the only true authorized version. It had a phone number. I certainly wouldn't call the number. Because the King James is not the true uh, authorized version. The original Greek and Hebrew is. It it was created by uh, men through an English translation of the original Greek or Hebrew. So the Greek language tells us a true worshiper is one who what? Adores God. Say one who adores God. One who magnifies God. One who loves God to the highest degree. What's that mean? You love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. That's to the highest degree. If you love God in that way, guess what? You're a true worshiper. Did you And we'll see this Sunday. Did you know that you could actually lose your love for God? as your first love? Go to Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. So let's get into this focus of what it means to be a true worshiper in relationship to why God is seeking them. Why is God seeking, True worshipers. What's this all about? What, why is the Father scanning through this earth, you know, day in and day out? Just because he may have found you as a true worshiper at one time doesn't mean you still are one. Yeah. You understand that? Yeah. You could have been one and drifted away from it. So let's understand... Why God is seeking these true worshipers, the definition kind of gives a pretty big big opening of the eye to explain and understand why he is. He wants us to adore him, magnify him, and love him to the highest degree. But I'm going to show you why. That's so important. In Luke chapter 4, we find in in Jesus' temptation, remember this, when he was led by the Holy Spirit out in the wilderness. So he's been baptized in the River Jordan. Holy Spirit comes upon him. And as the Holy Spirit comes upon him to be able to empower him to do ministry, he then goes out into the wilderness to be tempted 40 days and 40 nights for me and you. He was tempted in all things, yet without sin, so that we could be set free. Amen? And, and if you'll pick this up in verse 5, in the midst of this temptation, there's a second temptation that the, the devil brings to him, and we see a key phrase brought up here about this whole issue of worship. So in verse 5, the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdom of the world in a moment of time. What did he show him, All the kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will what? Tell me. Here we are again. Here we are again. If you will what? Worship before me, all will be yours. The biggest reason that Bible over and over and over and over and over again deals with us not worshiping anybody but God is because the enemy knows if I can get you to biblically worship me, I can connect you with me, you'll become more like me and less like your God. And I'll have somebody working for me because of the very life that you'll be living will be a reflection of what I want, not a reflection of what God wants. I'm going to show you this. So notice this, Jesus answered when this temp, when, when he tempted him with all this and said, worship me and all will be yours. And I'll guarantee you, one of the reasons that the devil draws people away from this biblical worship of God is he constantly entices them with stuff to make them think this is going to be a lot better to not have to go to church to get sleep and and to not spend time with God, not read my Bible. It's going to be so much better for It's always some form of enticement of what I'm going to give you without even realizing that we're giving in and, and worshiping something other than God. So Jesus answered and said, get behind me, Satan, for it is written. Say it is written. It is written. So God. Uh, so Jesus, excuse me here, is literally quoting out of Deuteronomy 6 what God told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6, now brought into the New Testament. Notice this. You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you what? Serve. And Him only shall you serve. So now we got another nugget. Now we got another nugget. A person who is a true worshiper, guess what the result will be? They will serve. They, in the context of serving, excuse me, of worshiping God, a person who's a true worshiper of God will serve God. When we try to get people to serve God without worshiping God, it never works. Where does the serving come in? Follows worship. If you get here, is here is an absolute because he just tried to get. Jesus, to worship him. We can worship a lot of things, as you're going to see in a minute. We can worship a lot of things in this life, people and or things. But here's something you need to learn, What and you might want to write it down. Whatever you worship, you will serve. Whatever you worship, you will serve. So the serving doesn't come first. The worship does. Now, serve here just simply means that you become compliant with but you also, you ready? You ready? You also become like that. What you're serving. You become like that. You become like what you're serving. So think about it. Worship leads to what? What you serve. And what you serve literally determines what you become like. So in essence, whatever you serve, you'll become like. If you serve God, guess what you're going to do? You'll become like God. But see, when we keep putting the serving part up front instead of the worship part, this is where a lot of people miss it because they don't understand that the serving follows the worship. Amen. Yes. Amen. And the worship has to be in spirit and truth because that's the kind of worshipers the Father's looking for. True worshipers. Mm-hmm. Now, why, in according to this verse, why does God want us to to worship him. Multiple reasons. Caleb already mentioned one. Primarily the, the, the main reason, he wants our fellowship. Just read again the definition of true worshipers. What are they? They adore him. They magnify him. And they love him to the highest degree. Amen. So if you stop and think about God as what scripture tells us about him in 1 John 4, God is love. Yes, he is. Amen. Right? Yes. God is love. Right? Yes, he is. God is love. Guess what love wants to do? Love wants to give itself away to others and to receive therefore back love from those others so that God can be ministered to. Do you know you can minister to God? Do you know the disciples ministered to the Lord? How do they do that? By loving him back. You know what God wants? He wants your love. You know why? Because he wants your fellowship. God craves it. God desires it. God wants you to be intimate with him. That's the whole reason he created man. Right? why did he create man? He wanted intimate fellowship with man. He wanted somebody similar to him that could relate to him in a similar level that he himself is so that they could experience not only his love but listen, then the father could experience theirs as well. A true worshiper will not only experience the love of the father but the father will experience the love of the worshiper. You listening? God wants that love. Because he is love. Amen. Because he is love, he desires to show his love for us. And therefore, he desires in the process to receive that love we have for him. Amen. And that is what changes a life. Because whatever you worship, in essence, again, you begin to do what? Serve. And whatever you serve, you become like. So this is the second reason God wants us to be true worshipers. Guess what God Guess what God intended for you to be like on this planet every day? Him. Amen. Him, he desired for you to be no different from him. Think about a parent, loves their kid, they're raising them up, and all of a sudden their kid starts showing affection for somebody they know they shouldn't. They get connected with them. They start obviously devoting themselves to that person. And next thing you know, they basically become, in essence, a type of servant to them because they want their affection. They want what they have to offer. They start serving them. They start, in other words, yielding to them. It's another word for serve. As they start yielding to them, what do they do? They start becoming like them. And if that person is not somebody that clearly you would want for your daughter or your son to become like, how much would that break your heart as a parent? Now imagine the Father. The Father knows the whole purpose of why I created you was so that you could come experience the love that I have for you and that I can experience the love that you have for me. And in doing so, guess what you would become? My little representatives, my likenesses on this earth. You would get to experience life the way that I want you to experience it. Does God ever get depressed? Guess what God doesn't want for his kids? Does God ever in any way, shape, or form get stressed? Guess what God doesn't want for his kids? He don't want them to get stressed. Why? He don't. I said he don't. So even as a parent who walks in somewhat of the blessing of God, guess what they want for their kids? They want them to experience that same blessing. And our goal as parents really is not to get them, although yes, they should love you as a parent, but not to get them to focus their love on us. Guess where they need to focus their love on? God. Because if they'll focus their love on God, guess what? They're going to become like the one that you want them to fall in love with. And that's the father. So why is he seeking true worshipers? One, he wants our fellowship. He wants intimacy with us. Remember our last study we just finished? John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them intimately. And they do what? Follow me. That verse is an actual truth of what we're revealing right here. If you fall in love with God, guess what you're going to do? You're going to hear his voice. Yes, you will. You're fellowshipping with him. That's right. You're spending time with him. You're getting close to him. If you are truly, in essence, biblically worshiping God, you're loving on God. To worship God means I'm coming and showing my adoration. I'm coming and magnifying my God. And I'm coming and do what? Devoting my total love to him. Amen. I'm giving him my love. I'm loving on God. Amen. <clears throat> and as I'm loving on God, he's loving me back. That's right? right? Yes. And as he loves me back, what happens? I begin to fellowship with him. Well, as you're fellowshipping with him, what does that mean? I'm getting to know his voice. Amen. I'm getting to know what he's telling me. I'm beginning to learn of what he has for my life. Well, if you hear his voice and follow it, John ten twenty seven, my sheep hear my voice and therefore I want know them. Because they actually have a desire to fellowship with me, they'll hear my voice, and in hearing my voice, I'll get to know them personally. I'll get to know them intently. I'll get to know them on the level that I desire to know them, and they'll get to know me on the same level. And then what will be the result? Not only will they know me, but what's the last part of John 10 27 say? They'll follow me. What does that mean? They're gonna look like me. They're not gonna be depressed. They're not gonna be stressed. They're not gonna be fearful. They're not gonna be worried. They're not going to get caught up. Right. Come on, in all the garbage of the world. Amen. They're not going to have these constant bickering battles with one another in the natural. Amen. No, they're going to walk in love just like me. Amen. They're going to choose to forgive just like me. That's right. They're going to rise up to a whole other level of life that I have available to them that I walk in. Amen. You know what you're going to look like? We're going to look like a bunch of little Jesuses walking around. Amen. And when you start walking in that kind of relationship with God, I'll guarantee you what? The Bible says our God is a consuming fire. You know what that means? He wants to consume you with his presence. Well, if he consumes you with his presence, guess what else you're walking around in? You're walking around in the anointing. You're walking around in the same power, the same glory that God had. See, the reason a lot of Christians, although we just recently taught on it, uh, the reason a lot of Christians, we taught on the power of Pentecost and all about the gifts and all that. You want to know why a lot of Christians aren't seeing those work in their life? Because they don't walk close with God. If you don't walk close with God, you're not even aware that those things are already in you. But if you start walking close with God, you know what God's going to make you aware of? Guess what I've already placed in you? Guess what I've already given to you? Like some better amens. So the two biggest reasons, why does the father want to find true worshipers? One, intimate, close fellowship. Two, so that we can live a life that he himself lives one fellowship he wants us to be an intimate fellowship with him there is a there is an issue that has a part of 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 God's makeup of the way he's made he wants what we want he wants to be loved he wants to experience that love because in doing so he gets to give his love away he can't give his love away if we're not willing to love on him She's like in the natural, if somebody loved you, but you wanted nothing to do with them, they would have no way to express their love to you because you would have nothing to do with them. Well, guess how many Christians really are not experiencing the love God wants to actually express to us? There's a lot of them that aren't. Why? They're not true worshipers. They're not true worshipers. This is why he is seeking for true worshipers. Why? Intimate fellowship and now us living the kind of life that he himself wants. Wants us to live, which is the kind of life he lives. Go to Genesis 1. Let's go prove this. Back in the beginning. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. And we'll go back to the whole aspect of, again, when God created us, what the whole aspect of what God created us about in relationship to what we see in the beginning before the fall was literally revealed to us in Genesis about why God did all this to begin with. What was the purpose of making man? What was the purpose of creating a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body? Why did he do that? Why did he make us? Why did he bring us into existence? If angels were all that was needed, capable of having this kind of fellowship with God to the degree that, they, that we could, then he wouldn't have needed to create us. Why can angels not do that? I don't know. I don't have that answer because the Bible doesn't specifically tell me they're not three-part beings like us, but they are a spirit, they have a soul. But you and I have the ability, as being made in God's image, spirit, soul, and body, to actually relate to God and to be able to love on God and God love on us. Imagine having, think of it this way. Imagine if you, from a perspective of something like, say, that would be really, really a life-changing Issue for somebody. Imagine you had, just for example, an actual type of a a, a, a drug, a special, I'm not trying to just go off in this, I'm just giving an example, a drug that could free somebody of something that's life-threatening, you know, and you had the inoculation for it. Man, imagine how frustrated you you would feel knowing I've got the answer to all of this stuff you're dealing with. If you would just come to me and receive from me what I have to give you, you'd be totally free from this stuff, but they don't want nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. Imagine how heartbreaking to know I've got the solution to what you're dealing with. If you would just come and give of yourself to me and receive what I have for you, you would get free from this. You wouldn't have to live with it anymore. Imagine the stuff Christians are living with day in and day out. And the Father looks down upon all of us as born again believers and says, if you would just come to me. Come on. Get caught up in my love, my consuming presence for you. Hallelujah. You would get all the answers to all this stuff. You would live the kind of life that I'm living that I want you to live on this planet. How do we know? Genesis chapter 1, 26. God said, let us make man in our what? Image. In our image according to our likeness. In other words, we're going to make man in a type of carbon copy of us. We're not God, but we're made very similar to him in the very fact that we've been made in his image and according to his likeness. In the midst of him making us according to his image and likeness, what did he give us the ability to do? Let them have dominion. Is God a God of dominion? Yes, he is. Meaning what? God doesn't get ruled over by anything. Guess what? You're not supposed to be in this life, in the world, and what's in the world. Guess what? You're not supposed to be having happen in your life. Nothing's supposed to be ruling over you that's of the enemy. You're supposed to be walking in dominion. You're supposed to be walking in peace over fear. Come on. Joy over depression. Healing over sickness. Any good amens? Amen. See, he gave you originally context before the fall. He gave us dominion. Well, if God gave us His dominion, then we, just like God, have the ability to do what? Walk over everything that will try to take advantage of our life. Amen. Can't do it. Why? We have the dominion. Yes. Remember what Jesus? Uh, me, remember what? Remember what uh, Satan said to Jesus in the garden? All this authority has been given to me. Did Jesus dispute that? No, no, he didn't. Well, when did he get it? Right here in the fall. But guess what? Why did Jesus say to the woman at the well, the hour's coming and now is? Yes. Right? Yes. The time is here because I'm here. Right. And I'm going to provide a way for you to once again become a true worshiper One who truly adores God, one who truly magnifies God and loves Him to the highest degree, and in doing so, you're going to do so because of relationship with Him. You have the ability now to reunite back to that relationship with the Father, like they had in the garden, and therefore do what? Live like God. As you become a worshiper, you become what? A servant. Servant meaning what? You begin to yield. You begin to yield to what God says about you. You know why a lot of Christians too don't walk in what they have? Because they don't know him intimately. They don't serve him, meaning they don't yield to what he says about them. You could tell somebody what the Bible says about them and they'd say, well, I know the Bible says that, but why do they not walk in the reality of it? Because they're not worshipers of God. What you worship, you become a servant to. Servant meaning what? You yield to. If you worship God, don't think of serving like, oh, we got to serve God, do everything God wants us to do. Serving here means I'm yielding to him. I'm yielding to who he is. I'm yielding to who he made me to be. Because once you start worshiping God, you have no problem yielding to him. You know why? Here's why. If you start worshiping God in intimate fellowship, that's what you're doing in worship, in intimate fellowship with him, guess what you're going to do? You're going to see him for who he really is. Who is your God? He's good. Come on, who is your God? He's love. Who is your God? He's joy. Come on, he's peace. Some of you are acting like you might need to start worshiping God a little more. He's all these things and more. He's everything that is good. So if you start getting a true picture, which you would in intimate worship with God, you start getting a true picture of God and what he looks like, as you begin to see that about God, guess what you're going to have no problem doing? Yielding to him. You're going to believe what he says about you. You're going to believe what he says you can do. Come on. You're not going to go out here, well, I know the Bible says it, but I don't know if I can really do that. You wouldn't have that problem as a true worshiper because what you worship, you serve, you yield to. What you yield to, you become like. Amen. You start yielding to who God says you are, you start becoming like that out there. Amen. Amen. But how do you start yielding? How do you get to the serving part? The wor- You've got to be a worshiper. Right. Amen? Amen? You're to worship nothing but the Lord your God and serve Him only. Amen. And you'll see all through the Bible, serving follows worship, not the other way around. See, what religion does is religion tries to put the serving first. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what the Jews of Jesus' day did. They put the serving in front of the relationship. And if you do that, the Messiah himself shows up. You don't even know he's there. You're not even aware of him. That's so hard to figure out. Why? Because he's not the priority. The serving is. And anything that gets in the way of my serving, even the Messiah himself, you don't even really pay attention to or notice because you obviously are focused on what? Serving not relationship. What, what's the focus, church? Relationship. What's the focus? Intimacy with God. Being a true worshiper is all about truly showing him the highest degree of love I can. And in doing so, guess what he's going to do? Love you back. Intimacy is going to be developed. And in that intimacy, and you see how good he is, guess what you're going to start doing? Yielding to that. Serving will be a part even in the relationship to serving in the house of God or serving God with your life, you'll have no problem doing that because you'll be so grateful for what he is for you. That's right. If we could fix the worshiping part, we'd fix a lot of other stuff in our life. I want you to see this again. So he said, verse 26, talking to, talking to Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Father said, let us, God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. Three parts. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God did what? Created man. How did he create him? Just like he said. In his own image. In the image of what? Underline it. In the image of God. He didn't make you in the image of a human. God's not a human. God's a spirit. God made you in his image. As our pastor says, once you're born again, guess what you're not anymore? You're not a mere human. You know why a lot of believers live like they're mere humans? I'll tell you why. We're answering the question. They're not true worshipers. Part of the fact that you're not in relationship to some believers a true worshiper causes you to lack understanding who you really are. How you've been made. Come on, somebody. God created man, 27, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them, 28. Then God did what? He blessed them. What did he do? He didn't curse them. He blessed them. And he, and he said to them, God said, do what? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Do what? Fill the earth and subdue it. Nothing on this earth should subdue you. You should be the subduer. And do what? Have dominion. How, how do I have that ability? Because he gave it to you. Yeah. Notice this. Have dominion again over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, every tree which, whose fruit uh, yields seed. Uh, to you it shall be for food. So God provided everything. Say so he provided everything. Right. And then what happens? We're going to talk about it probably Sunday, but... I believe this in relationship to what takes place in the fall. In the midst of God created the garden and then creating Adam and then creating Eve. This didn't just happen one day. Guess what Start. Guess what? God starts doing day after day after day with Adam and Eve? What he created them to do. What would he start doing with it? He started coming down in the garden in the cool of the day. And what would he do? They heard his voice. What, what happened in those times? They fellowshiped. He he was doing exactly what he wanted for man to be in existence to do. Come and have intimate fellowship with me. Love on me. I get to love on you. I get to now take what I am love and I get to share it with somebody else, which now is actually a blessing for me. Amen. So God so loved the world. And God has always been somebody who wants to give his love away. But to give his love away, he's got to have you come to receive it. And therefore, you're doing what? You're loving on him. When you love on God, guess what you become a recipient of? God's love. Which, by the way, really, when you think about it, if I love on God, I become a recipient of what? God himself. (laughs) I am preaching better than this congregation tonight is amen. Are you getting this? If I love on God, I start experiencing what? More of God himself. He is love. How are you going to encounter more of God and not want to yield to this great God who you're now going to magnify and exalt above everything else? And then continue as you fellowship with him day in and day out, as you go out in the world, how are you not going to be able to now go out and continue to walk in what he actually designed for you to begin with? Dominion. And subduing all the works of the enemy. And when Jesus told that woman at the well, guess what? The hour is coming and now is... You know what he's saying? Okay, so man did lose all that in the fall. But guess what Jesus is saying? It's about to be given back. And this is why it's now the time for the true worshipers again. Say, he wants me to know him intimately and to live like him. Last verse for tonight. Go to, uh, uh, let's see, should I go? Yeah, go to Jeremiah 29. Had two two verses there. I was kind of flounder in between. Jeremiah 29. Let's go to this one real quick in closing for tonight. Jeremiah 29. So a true worshiper is one who what? He adores God. He also does what? He magnifies God and he does what? He loves him to the highest degree. If I love God again to the highest degree, come on, simple truth. If I love God to the highest degree, what does that mean? I love him with my what? All my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. That's worshiping God because you love him to the highest degree. I I promise you sadly and honestly, a lot don't do so just simply because they don't even realize they can and or know how. But a lot of Christians, they're not working, they're not loving him, excuse me, they're not loving him to the highest degree with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. If they were, what are they going to be getting back? Love back. What are they going to get consumed by? God. They're consumed by God, what are they gonna do? They're gonna look like Him, they're gonna sound like Him, they're gonna act like Him. Yeah, you still got a flesh to deal with, but I will promise you, guess guess what, child of God? Guess where your flesh came from? Guess where your flesh came from? Guess where your flesh came from? Dirt of the ground. Dirt of the ground. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Where did it come from? Dirt of the ground. What did he say over there in the garden? I give you dominion over all the earth. In the dirt of the ground part of the earth? Guess what you have dominion over? Your flesh, your body. Why are so many believers, sadly, body ruled by, you know, things that are challenging their body, et cetera, even stuff with the flesh and that? I'm going to tell you why. Because they're not true worshipers. Become a true worshiper, get consumed by God. You get consumed by God and what's going to happen? You're going to be so full of God that now you're going to begin to do what? You're going to begin to act like God. You're going to be able to live like God. Amen. You're going to become a reflection of God in the earth. Yes. You're going to yield to Him. Yield to what He says about you. Mm-hmm. Yield to what His Word declares. Jeremiah 29. I'm going to try one more verse here to see if I can get some kind of shout out of you. Yes. Jeremiah 29. Of course, we, we could read all these verses, but we're going to go straight to verse 13. Notice this. God said here, and He hasn't changed. How I many you know God's saying yesterday, today, and forever? Yes. Yes. Malachi 1, God says, I do not change. So He had not changed. No. Just because he said this, children of Israel, doesn't mean it doesn't apply to us. It does because he doesn't change. Notice, you will seek me and find me. You'll what? Find me when you do what? Search for me with what? See, what are true worshipers doing? They are searching for God with all their heart. I already found him. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about searching daily to get to know him better. Searching him out, talking to him, learning from him, drawing close to him. And this, this proves something. Notice again, read that verse again. Uh, very clearly, he said, All who seek, uh, those who seek me with all their heart will do what? Guess what God wants to do? He wants to be found. Say, My God wants me to find him. How do you find him? You got to become a true worshiper. What's part of a true worshiper? They love him to the highest degree, which would be this verse, because you're searching after him with what? With your whole heart. You will seek me, and when will you find me? When will you find me? When you search for me with part of your heart. No, with all your heart. The reason a lot of people haven't found all that God is yet is because guess what they're not doing? They're not searching after him with all their heart. And the Bible says it this way in the book of uh, Matthew and in the book of Luke. Jesus said it. He said you can't serve two masters. Can't do what? Serve. What serve mean? Yield. yield. Can't yield to two masters. If God's your master, in the sense that you truly love him, adore him, come on and you love him to the highest degree, and you, and you magnify him above everything else, if he's the master of your life, and I don't mean like some master-slave task man. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a good, loving, heavenly father that designed all this for one thing. I want you to come and experience who I am. Yes. I want you to get consumed with me because I'm everything that's good. Right. Yes. Amen? Amen. Yes. And I get a blessing out of that by you loving on me. Because now I get to share who I am with you, my love to you. And as I do, guess what happens? You begin to see how good I am, and therefore you have no problem doing what? Yielding, serving. You have no problem yielding to me because you know everything I have for you is good. And as you begin to accept what I have for you, guess what you begin to do? You begin to rise right back up into the position that I had for you all along to take dominion and subdue the earth because now you're walking like me on the planet. Now you're walking like me in relationship to my son Jesus on the planet, doing what he himself did. Didn't Jesus say, if you believe in me, the works I did, you'll do also? So, again, what's a missing element? It seems like in all the aspects of what we talk about, relationship to us, walking in the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God, hearing God's voice, following God, what tends to be the missing element in relationship to all these things about us doing the things the Bible says, being a true worshiper? Guess who's going to walk in all those things? No problem. True worshippers. Why? You're going to get so close to God, you're going to have no problem seeing that stuff rub off on you. Hallelujah. Amen. And I guarantee you, you'll get so consumed with him that all of a sudden you'll realize that you'll start seeing things differently. You'll start realizing things you didn't know before. I mean, stuff will just start coming to you. Why? Because you're spending time with God. Amen. You're spending yeah. time with the one who knows everything. That's right. That's right. Huh? Yeah, amen. So he likes to be found. Yes, he does. But what do you got to do to find him? Read it again. What do you got to do to find him? Seek him with what? All, heart. All your heart. Now you're going to see this on Sunday. Your God's a jealous God and he won't share you. Now why won't he share you? He can't. You can't serve two masters. And if you don't serve, here's the facts. If you are not a true worshiper of God, you're a worshiper of something. You, You are fellowshipping with something or someone other than God. And if you're a worshiper of something else, that's what you become a servant to. That's what you start yielding to. If you start yielding to that, that's what you start looking like. But thank God we don't have to serve anything in relationship to this world. In essence sense, yield to it. We can rise up in the position God put us if we simply become what? True worshippers. But you got to do it with all your heart, church. Amen.